Would your life be easier if you were a Christian? That's the question that we're going to look to answer today. Is suffering necessary not only for Christ, but is suffering necessary for me? This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, March 4th, 2012. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm really excited. We've got a great message again today. Um, I'm excited about it, at least. We're continuing our series, which is Why Bother with God? So we're not even asking the question, um, why should I worship God? Uh, why should I be totally devoted to God? We're saying, in the whole scheme of things, as you observe the world as an individual, why should I even bother with God. So last week we asked, so if I do bother with God, if you want to put it that way, and I'm not trying to be irreverent in any way, if I do bother with God, does that mean now that I have to sacrifice? And because any relationship involves sacrifice, right? And, and we like to know what we're in for. No one likes to pay more for something than they want. That's why when you go to a restaurant, isn't it nice that they have the, the menu board? Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you didn't get a receipt and you're wondering, like, did I just get conned here? No one likes to do that. So that's why it's nice to have the menu, unless you go to a nice restaurant, the menu up on the board. You like to have the menu in your hand. So you say to yourself, is the sacrifice I'm about to make for money worth the effort here? Same thing happens in relationships. You determine after a while, not just romantic relationships, but you get to a point and you say, you know what, is this relationship really worth the trouble? With an employer, maybe, or with a friend that has burned you more than one time. You're saying, you know, is this really worth it? You ask the same thing about God. What is God really asking me to, what is God really asking of me as we talk about this? So I got an example. Uh, Dave Ramsey, I've told you this before, he has a negotiating tip. If you're going to go buy houses, you go to the house and the person's looking to sell it, and if they have something that's out of place, this is his advice. So if you see like a 60-inch screen TV and they're going into foreclosure, you're like, something's not right here. This is kind of out of place. Or he used the example of like a bass boat. I don't know how much bass boats cost. Does anyone know? Like $30,000 or something. That's my guess. I don't, I don't fish very well. So he's got this giant boat. So you go there and uh, you're hearing my Midwest accent as I say boat. I can't even say it the right way. So you, you look and you see this giant boat. So then you go, hey, I'll take the house, but I also want the boat as well. And they go, whoa, 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 you know, that's, that's my bass boat. You know, it's bass boat orange. That's the thing I want. And, and so they go, tell you, I'm not going to do it. And he goes, well, what are you going to give me now instead of the bass boat? So he never had it to begin with, but this is one of his negotiating tips. Now, I wish in my relationship with God, and I think you wish in your relationship with God, we were the ones that were like in the negotiating position, trying to identify things wrong or out of place with God. But is that how it works? Or does God look at your life and say, there's things that are out of place. And when God says, I want you to follow me and be my disciple, does, can God take a look at your life and see things that are out of place? A relationship where God should be here and that's kind of slid up above that. Or you can see a job maybe means more to you than God at times. Your money can mean more to you than God at times. Your stuff, your health. That's what we talked about last week. Essentially, we want to negotiate. We say, God, we're totally in as long as you don't touch this kind of secret area of my life. It could be a sin. And what the same thing is happening. God looks at your life and says, you know what? I want to be number one in your life. I want to be your non-negotiable. And it's not that he doesn't back it up, does he? Because God has shown very clearly that we are his non-negotiable and he's willing to do anything for us to make this relationship right. Which gets us to what we're looking at today. Um, I don't know if Jesus hadn't had this conversation much, but it seems... He feels it's time to sit down with his disciples and say, here's the price for God to make sure your relationship in God is all right. So this is in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 31. 
It says, he began to teach them, talking to the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So as a believer, which things stand out? Just think in your brain, which things stand out? Did that just go dead on me? Uh, think about things which stand out. <clears throat> now we're going to talk about what do you think would stand out to the disciples and what did that mean? When I read this, I'm pretty excited about the rise again because that means our salvation is paid for. This is good. Um, but also the suffering. Does anyone like to hear the suffering of other people? Please don't raise your hand because <laughs> we're going to have to ask you to leave. This is weird, right? I, and, and I don't think I've, there's ever been a Gallup poll that has tried to determine this. Like, um, would you rather hear about your own pain or the pain of someone else? I asked my friend this, and he's like, oh, it's other people's pain. I'm like, really? Because I think if I know I'm going to get a root canal, or they're going to drill in my teeth, or you've got to get an arm set, or um, you're going to go through a lot of pain, you're going to be cold, I, I don't like that. I mean, but I, much would ra- I would much rather hear about my own pain or know what's coming than someone else's. You ever watch, like, the Joe Theismann video? like where his knee, it just gives me the willies. Or you watch any sports, and then they replay the ear, the guy injures himself, and then they pull it back. I'm like, oh. Now, if it was my own ankle, I think I could handle it. But it's someone else, you know, and you're like, this is creepy. I don't like to hear about this. What about if it's someone you like? Then it gets worse, doesn't it? You hear about, like, your mom or your grandma who has to go to chemotherapy or they're going to get surgery or where they broke their ankle, and it's someone you care about. Isn't that the worst? No one likes to hear about that. Kids, you've seen Incredibles, right? Because I know the kids are in here today. Now, Mr. Incredible is on the island with Syndrome, right? And he's, he's in the, the zapper things, and Syndrome is turning up the thing because he wants to know who's coming in on the jet. The parents are like, are you serious? Yeah, this is what happens. So, right, he's getting zapped, and, and Syndrome's trying to get him to tell him who's in it, but does Mr. Incredible give it up? No, because he would rather suffer than make someone else suffer. Same thing happens, and just to keep it real, I'm reading The Hunger Games. Has anyone read The Hunger Games? Yeah, it's teen fiction. Yeah. But it's pretty good. So I'm reading The Hunger Games. I finished the first one. We're almost done with the second one. I say we because it, actually it's just me. So I'm almost done with the second one. But Primrose is the main... I'm, Primrose is the sister of Katniss, the main character. So this is what happens. And this is going to be a little longer illustration than necessary, but it's going to make the point. There's these 12 districts. The 13th is supposedly blown up, but we know what's going to happen in book three, of course. Um, but in the middle is the capital, and the capital says, because you revolted, you have to send two kids a year for tribute to fight in these games till the death, which sounds like good teen fiction, right? I mean, this is exactly what you should be reading. So these, these go, but Primrose is a 12-year-old, and your name gets put in this, like, hopper to decide if you're going to go or not. So Primrose is 12. She goes in once. If you're 13, you go in twice. If you want food, uh, they call it a, I can't think of the name of it, but her sister, Katniss, is a hunter, and she's in there, like, 40 times. They're not even worried about Primrose. She's like, am I going to go? Because her name's, the odds are getting stacked against her, right? The odds are not ever in her favor, as they say in the book. But when the day comes for the, uh, the choosing, they pull the slip, and of course, who does it say? Primrose. And everyone looks back to the 12-year-old girl, no doubt going to her inevitable death, because it's 12-year-olds versus 18-year-olds. This is not going to be good. And so Katniss steps forward 
and says, I'll go in her place. Why is she willing to do that? Because most of us would rather see ourselves suffer. Most of us would rather have pain. Most of us would rather um, know our own pain than see someone else suffer in their place. We we don't want to see anybody else get hurt, especially people you care about. And if it was up to me, I remember watching my brother wrestle. He wasn't very good. So he would just get pounded on the mat. And I remember thinking as a kid, man, I wish I was there. I'd give him all my energy. And I actually tried to do this, which is so pathetic. You know, I'm like, oh, I wish. And he's just getting mashed on the mat. I would have switched places with him because it bugged me so much to see someone you care about get hurt. Peter, I don't know what he's thinking exactly. Um, Jesus speaks plainly about this. Does Peter have this idea of, we know Jesus, he loves Jesus. We know he has this relationship with Jesus. We know they care about each other. They have this, he's his rabbi. And when Jesus explains he's going to suffer and die, maybe there's this mixture of what kind of Messiah he's going to be. But here's Peter's words. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't recommend ever rebuking Jesus. That's just kind of a rule of thumb. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, which is pretty strong words. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So the question is this. Did Jesus have to suffer? Yeah. Absolutely, you could even put, I think. Jesus absolutely had to suffer. And he, it, no matter, I don't know what the gist of the conversation was. Is Peter saying, like, Jesus, this is crazy talk. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. We're going we're to run away, like they always say in the movies. They even said that in the Hunger Games. Like, we're going to just go run in the woods, and this is not going to happen. Give me a break. For our salvation, Jesus had to suffer. But in this scale of hearing about people suffering, what's the worst? Um, I, in my own mind, I think it's, it's bad to hear about my, my own suffering. It's worse to hear about someone else's suffering. It's worse yet to hear about someone you care about. What's the worst of all time? Why is it that we don't like to hear about Jesus' suffering? I don't. I mean, do you like to hear about the nails going in his hands? Do you like to hear about the spear in his side? Do you like to hear about the crown of thorns? Do you like to hear about his complete separation from God as he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I wish it was just because I love Jesus so much. And I wish that was it. But what is it that really is the hardest part about it? It's my fault. It's your fault. I don't like to hear about my kids suffering. I mean, even someone makes fun of them on the playground or something. You, as a parent, you're like, oh, that's the word. I don't care if people make fun of me, but not my kids. You know, you, you're just real protective. And now Jesus is explaining to his disciples, I'm going to suffer and die. And they know it's their fault. Imagine getting in a car accident because you're texting and you're driving and you get in a car accident. You're fine, but your kids have to go through traction for like two months. How would you feel every time you went to visit them? Wouldn't you just, just tear your heart out? You smoke all the time and your kids somehow get lung cancer. You, know, you just, oh. I wish we didn't like to hear about Jesus suffering at Lent just because we loved him so much. That's part of it. But the other part is we know it's exactly our fault. So does Jesus have to suffer? Absolutely. That doesn't really answer our question, though, today, does it? The question that we propose today is, is my life going to be easier? Would my life be easier if I have this relationship with God? It depends on the leader you follow, doesn't it? 
Now we're going to talk a little bit long and we're going to end up where, we, where we're going to leave. Is my life going to be easier if I'm a Christian? Well, it depends on the leader you follow. When you hear about innovative leaders, and Jesus is absolutely innovative, and he um, does amazing things, and he's, he's just independent and thinks outside the box and the whole thing with it. If you got to follow a leader like that, wouldn't it be kind of cool? You ever think about whatever your field is, um, some of you are bankers. I don't know who the dream banker to work for is or the dream accountant. Is there a dream accountant? No, <laughs> there isn't. Okay. Um, but I was thinking about sports. Some of you watch sports and you think about what would it have been like to be with like Bill Walsh when he came up with the West Coast offense? Wouldn't that have been kind of cool? Or you go like Billy Bean, if you read the book Moneyball, that would have been kind of cool to know the Oakland A's and have been part of that organization. Or like Steve Jobs when um, Apple was doing great, and then he left and it blew up, and then he came back, and what it would have been like to have that meteoric, uh, meteor, I can't even say it, like a meteor rise, <laughs> right? What would it have been like to have been part of that organization? Or part of Microsoft when Bill Gates was like doing all this innovative software stuff. It would have been pretty sweet. And you think sometimes, man, it would have just been awesome to be with Jesus as he starts out and he's thinking outside the box. This is the mainstream and these people out the drought like this and the people are kind of swinging outside and doing these cool things and you think that would have been awesome. And I always thought that would be true with Jesus. But what's Jesus' job? Not on a big worldly scale, but what was his job when he was on earth? He was a rabbi, a teacher. And essentially he worked in religious things, right? He taught things of God. This is where I'm getting at. What else did Jesus have to suffer? I'm going to shoot back here. He began to teach his, sorry, one more. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. That's usually what I hear when I read this. And I hear that he's going to be killed and rise again. But do you ever notice what's in the middle? The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Jesus works in the church. These guys are the church. The elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And what is going to happen? What is Jesus essentially announcing to his disciples? I'm independent. And if you had this idea that you're going to follow me and somehow have this protective hand in the mainstream and still get to be part of this cool leader thing, he goes, that's really not how it's going to work. A friend of mine, he's a, a pastor at Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He started a church and I met him at a conference in Minnesota, and he was talking to me once, and he put in to become part of the church, because it has to be officially voted in, that you know, this church is accepted as part of our fold of churches. So he put in for it, and uh, his name's Ben. So Ben put in for it, and then he, uh, it got rejected because of a constitutional thing, because his constitution was set up a little bit different, the way they did leadership and things like that. So they're putting in it again, and he, he, while we're talking, we're drinking some coffee, he goes, you know, I kind of hope it gets rejected again, and we go independent. Does that sound like a good idea to you? I said, you don't really want that, I don't think. Because what is happening, there's this, this comfort level as you start a church of being part of the main body, right? And believers understand that. And there's history involved. And you're letting go. Say, you do great, but who's going to be your next pastor? Where is that guy going to come from? If you're independent, you don't really want this. And what would it have been like for the disciples to think, okay, this is great, we're Jewish, we're part of this fun ride, and Jesus is the Messiah, and suddenly he says, actually, you're not going to have anything to do. In fact, anyone involved with religious establishment is going to reject you. What's worse, to know that your friend is going to suffer and die, or to know that this, 
it's great to be part of innovative stuff eventually, but do you think it's like that in the beginning? Anyone watch the movie, um, all I talk about is movies today. What's the one with, um, the, with Mark Zuckerman, I think? Face, face, the social network, thanks. Yeah, I don't watch movies, so thanks. I was just trying to throw that out there. <laughs> but it, does it sound like it'd be cool to be part of Facebook in the beginning? Like where you don't get paid and you're just working crazy hours? Does that sound that cool? Or does anyone read about Steve Jobs? The guy was a jerk. When they talk about how relentless he was making people work countless hours and just again and again demanding perfection again and again, Bill Gates is a paranoid. The guy always thinks the world's about to implode. Does that sound like a sweet work environment? Like, think about it in the beginning. In the end, it sounds awesome. There has to be a point, though, because every innovator on the whole planet doesn't win. We're talking about the guys who have won, Abraham Lincolns and these other cool things. But every innovator doesn't win. Bill Walsh has an awesome offense, but how many other guys tried to come up with offenses for football that are terrible? And how many guys said, yes, this is the future, and they don't have a job now? Or how many people like, got a part of another computer company that's just blown up? Or how many, how many times do you think that happens? Like 99 out of 100? Uh, probably 999 out of 1,000 that you think, this guy's an innovator, I want to follow him, or I want to follow her, and it just blows up in your face. There has to be a point where you say, this person is either a genius or they're crazy. Do you think this moment was coming with the disciples right here? This is the moment when you leave a company to go to a startup and you have benefits and you have a nice job and you finally have to say, I trust that this is going to work and I'm cutting off from the mainstream. I'm going here. And for Jesus' disciples, this is the moment where he says, guys, just so you know, I'm going to suffer and die. And if you think you can hold on to your sweet job and benefits and still be part of this deal, you can't. You've got to cut it off. So this is the what it's going to cost conversation that Jesus has. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me, for the gospel, will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes to his Father's glory in the holy angel, with the holy angels. The question is, will my life be easier? No. No. You can't be part of an organization, Christianity, that it goes completely contrary to the ways of the world and think it's going to be easier. We still live in a sinful world. Is my life going to be easier? No. There's no free pass from hurt or pain or suffering. Is my life going to be easier? God doesn't make any special promises to believers just for comfort and ease. But I don't think that's the real question. Is my life going to be easier? I think the real question is, would my life be better? There's a difference between, this is our last point we're making, there's a difference between easier and better. We talked about those countless hours if you started in Facebook and you're plunking away and you're not getting paid. Do you think any of the guys would look back, or girls that are programming, would look back and say those are the worst days of my life? Or do you think those, they would say those were the best? 
or you got to be part of ground level of iPhone 4 and the guy's crazy and yelling and doesn't want it, and, and, or iPhone 3. It, it, they're going on and on and on. Do you think they look back and say, those are the worst days of my life, or they say, those are my best? You're part of a sports program, and some of you guys were in part of pretty intense sports programs, that info, or, or running, or anything that's just relentless, and it hurts, and it's painful, and you get up and you think, why in the world did I sign up for this? Or if you're part of a football program, where they put the weights on for you, and you're like, why am I doing this? But now, 20 years later, when you look back, do you think you think, those are the worst days of my life? Or do you think you look back and say, those are really the best? There's a difference between easy and best. Is my life going to be better as a Christian? Absolutely. You know forgiveness. You know peace. You know suffering, but your suffering has a point. And you know that someday, a thousand years later, 10,000 times 10,000, as it says in Amazing Grace, you can look back and say, I don't want to go for the suffering, but those are the best years of my life as I sacrificed and worked and served the Lord because now I'm with him and it all paid off because of what he has done for me to make him right. Amen.